Hi everybody, I'm Key. And I'm V. And this is We Shouldn't Talk About This. Key, it's such a strange feeling not to be able to see you. I know, this uh, quarantine edition is kind of rough. Last last couple weeks we had a live studio audience, now we're in two separate places. Yeah, it's like, it's like we don't even exist. It's weird, it's strange, it's a bizarre world. We're in the upside down. That we are, but we are actually adapting really well to it. So I'm glad. So am I. We can still pump out quality content to give the people what they need to get through these trying times. Yes, provide the juiciest of stories. Mm, The juiciest indeed. Speaking of juiciness, you know what's really juicy? Oranges. Oranges are juicy, but I was thinking more along the lines of love triangles and or desperation or just love and passion in general. Like a scorned lover out for revenge? Yes, yes, possibly. Or a very confusing love triangle that ends in a deadly, deadly um, ending. Well, that I, would definitely that, was, that wasn't going the direction I wanted it to, but, you know. I thought you were going to say a triangle that ended in a square. I was like, oh. Oh, uh, that, that would be even more, that would be even more confusing. It would, but I do have a, a story to tell that maybe you might remember because it's not too terribly old, but maybe not because you were young. It was in... 2007 so what grade were you in 2007 I would have had to have been in the 6th grade Uh, 7th grade yeah this wasn't on your radar it's not about video games so yeah that's that was when the PS3 was out then so you can't tell me nothing oh well our you going to start off this week? Have you recovered from the trauma of the last time you went first, or am I going to go? I've recovered. I'll go first this week. All right. Well, gather around, children. It's time for a tale of crime. So, Heather Strong was born March 23rd, 1982. She began dating Joshua Fulgham back when she was only 15 years old in 1997. Joshua was 22 at the time. So the two already had a very upsetting relationship. But yeah, was, that's pretty gross. Yeah, I um, don't, you know, I don't feel, I didn't feel too comfortable reading about this story. But luckily, it skips into, it skips to her being 21 next. So we can skip all the weird underage stuff for now. Stuff we don't condone. Stuff we don't condone. So through the years, they were constantly fighting and breaking up and making up. And finally, in, 2000, in 2003, they had children together. They had two children. And then they decided to move from Mississippi to Marion County, Florida. Don't really, don't really remember what the move was um, initially about from my research because it seems that Heather had like a, a job um, and a diner and I didn't see what kind of career Joshua had. 
But the fights, but the fights in breaking up and making up can continue there. Nothing changed. And then five years later, um, Heather finally put her foot down. During one of the couple's many separations, Heather and her children moved in with her friend Benjamin McComb. And after a few weeks of staying there, Heather and Benjamin became intimate. Surprise, surprise. Joshua was furious about this. Even surprise, though, surprise. <laughs> even though he had already had his own side relationship with 26-year-old Amelia Carr. Now, Amelia has her own interesting backstory. Amelia Lily Carr was born Amelia, Amelia Yara, the middle child of three. A psychologist estimated her IQ to be 125, which is in the 95 percentile. Genius level. Yeah. At the age of 15, she reported abuse by her father to, the, to her school, but withdrew her statements to officials. So she had a rougher upbringing in a way. And then in 2004, her father was convicted of attempting to solicit the murders of his family and was sentenced to four years in prison. Cheese and rice. <laughs> Amelia herself had been married twice by this point and filed a restraining order against one of her ex-husbands for domestic violence. And then she was sentenced to two years of probation for her involvement in her ex-husband's grand theft of exotic birds. She's just all over the map. Like, everything is going on in her life. I'm, I feel kind of bad with these birds. Like, these birds, they don't know what's going on. They're getting stolen for no reason, you know? What's going on with that? Right, they're just out trying to live their lives in the wild, and she just got too many plates spinning, like, stuff is her life is very haphazard right now seriously okay so 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 ending ending this little backstory about her um amelia had three three children and one of them was with her ex-boyfriend james akome so remember this name this name's gonna be important soon over the next over the next five months joshua continued to harass both heather and her new boyfriend benjamin he reportedly threatened them both with a gun on numerous occasions. Heather, Heather's friend stated that Heather was very happy in her new relationship with Benjamin and seemed to be in a really good place. In November of 2008, Amelia and Joshua uh, became engaged. And then in December of 2008, Heather and Joshua became married. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, Heather. so he's engaged to one and then married the ex. Yeah, so all right, so this is what happens. So Heather, Heather, um, broke up with Benjamin to get back with Joshua and marry him. And Joshua, who newly met, who newly just engaged Amelia, told her that they're through, even though Amelia is pregnant with his child right now. Oh, what a scumbag! seriously a scumbag and I do not understand why Heather would leave a good thing to go back with this guy I don't either so Joshua and Heather married on December 26 2008 six days later Joshua was arrested for threatening Heather with a shotgun during a heated argument he was charged with assault with a deadly weapon and remained in jail for many weeks good 
while Joshua was in jail, Amelia visited him numerous times, and they end up rekindling their relationship. What is he doing to these women? Oh my gosh! This this man he he has some magic. He he has a game. Apparently, if he can dump somebody, marry his ex, and then get the other ex that he dumped to come visit him in jail and also rekindle a relationship. <laughs> it makes no sense. At all. Why These ladies can't be that desperate. And what's really strange is that Amelia and Joshua's mom were actually on good terms with Heather. And so Amelia and Joshua's, Joshua's mom were fighting to get Joshua released from jail, and they asked Heather to write a letter on Joshua's behalf numerous times, and Heather refused. At one point, Amelia grew so angry about Heather's refusal that she pulled Heather's hair and held a neck to her throat. Held a neck to her throat? Her held a knife to her throat. <laughs> no. As I was say, that's it's getting weird in here. Yes. If it can get any stranger than it already but, has been. But why would they expect her, Heather, to write a letter on his behalf if the whole reason he's in there is for threatening her, right? Right, yeah. Um, only reason they thought so because they both they both were like babysitting her children for her at times and just like, you know, they, they thought they were good friends with her. Oh. Well But but still though. Wrong. Yeah, but still though, you threaten me with a shotgun, I'm not gonna be so nice to, you know, apologize, like put in like give give the court a letter saying that it wasn't all that serious and that, you know, I knew you'd never do it or whatever. Right. If anything, I'm going to write a letter and be like, keep him in there. He's crazy. Don't ever let him out. (laughs) Yeah. I'm scared. (laughs) (laughs) So, so since Amelia and Heather were friends at this point, they had a mutual friend, James Okome, and he was able to intervene and separate the two women from, Heather getting her throat sliced, pretty much. Heather and James shortly uh, began dating shortly after the incident and moved in together later that month in January. Joshua was released from jail a week later. Oh my gosh, this is just going bad already. Yeah, um, so I think we're in a, we, we may be in a love pentagon at this point. There, There is a lot of points on this triangle. Mm-hmm. Lots of points. And I feel like even though he's back with Amelia, he's going to be mad that Heather has moved on yet again. Because technically they're still married. Yeah, yeah, they're still married. So I, I have a feeling this is going bad for Heather and her new beau. Yeah, um, Akome. I don't, he should have stayed out of it. Shortly after Joshua was released from jail, Amelia informed him that Heather had plans to leave the state with their children. On February 15, 2009, Joshua asked his mother to help him compose a letter for Heather to sign that would grant him full custody of their children. Later that afternoon, Joshua's mother said that she saw Joshua and Heather leaving home together in Joshua's car. When Heather's boyfriend returned, James Okome, to the apartment that evening, he noticed that all of Heather's items were missing from the apartment. Mm. He later received a voicemail from Joshua that said that Heather had gotten back together with him. 
This is suspicious. Uh-huh. A big red flag. This huge red flag. The reddest of red flags. And after this point, Heather was never seen or heard from again. Jeez. She was reported missing by her family members on February 24, 2009. And the investigation inevitably led authorities to Joshua and Amelia. Over the next several days, Joshua and Amelia were interviewed numerous times, and they ultimately admitted that Heather was dead and blamed each other for her death. Oh, double scumbags. Authorities late authorities eventually found Heather's remains buried near a storage trailer on March 19, 2009. That's terrible. She had kids. Oh, that's terrible. And uh, and like on the on the account from what Amelia said was that when she was with um, Joshua, uh, well, well, it's, okay, it's it's really confusing because like she because like she confessed the entire details. I have them right here in front of me. But she also said in another interview that um, after everything happened, the the kids would ask him, "Hey, like, Daddy, is Mommy gonna call today?" And and um and Joshua would say, "Oh, Mommy called while you were at school, honey." You know, like he would just lie to the kids, like what an ass. Yeah, it's it's terrible. So you ready to hear details about what happened to Heather? Oh gosh, I guess. Joshua lured Heather to the storage trailer on Amelia's family property on February 15th. So I don't know if you keep track of the days or not, but this is literally the same day Joshua asked his mom to write the letter to Heather to grant him full custody of the children. Right. So after Joshua and Heather entered the trailer, Amelia followed them inside. Frightened, Heather attempted to exit the the trailer, but Joshua wrestled her back inside. Amelia then tied Heather to a chair as Joshua held her down. The pair forced Heather to sign a custody agreement that granted Joshua full custody of their children. Then, both Amelia and Joshua unsuccessfully attempted to break Heather's neck. When they failed, Amelia placed a garbage bag over Heather's head and Joshua put his hands around her mouth and nose, suffocating her to death. Gee, that is terrible. Yes, yeah, quite brutal. And and what's really getting me with all this is like, not only is he a liar, cheating scumbag, murdering piece of garbage, but he had his wife, the father of his children, someone he's been with for like a decade now, tied to a chair was forcing her to sign papers signing their children over to him with custody. This man doesn't need to be anywhere near children or anyone else in that matter. He needs to be institutionalized and separated from all society. Right, because all, all that's going to happen is that Amelia's going to end up taking care of, well, in the grand scheme of things, had they, let's say Heather had just signed the papers and walked away Amelia would have been who took care of him. It's not like he really wanted him. He just wanted that power or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I just, I just don't understand it. Man. And closing this out, in December of 2010, Amelia was found guilty on all charges, and she was sentenced Good. to death by lethal injection, making her 
making her the one of five women to ever be pinned in the death penalty. And Joshua had a trial a year later. He was also found guilty and was given life in prison without a chance of parole. And so I thought those two were kind of kind of strange because they both killed her. That's what I was going to say. How did she get death and he get life? So in 2017, because of Amelia's, Amelia's like cooperation, um, they appealed her sentence and she was resentenced to life without parole too. So that's at least good that she didn't get the that she didn't get the death penalty and he's got life and that was it. Oh well, I mean, they should have gave them both death if they were going to do anything. But yeah, I mean, I guess like because it seems like neither one was any worse than the other in the yeah. situation. Yeah, they're both awful people. Unless it was the the jury who made the decision on who on like the um, you know what what happens their sentence because some states. You know, the jury makes that decision. Some states it's the judge. Oh, so okay. maybe so, that's why maybe that's why they were so different. Okay, okay. So so the jury for Amelia's yeah, 'cause it was a year later, so it was definitely different, um, a different jury by then. Yeah, maybe that, that makes sense why why they would have been such different outcomes for the same murder. And that is my my love broken heart case. Well, it's a good thing that I'm going second today because mine isn't that bad. Well, good. <laughs> let's, let's let's cheer this up a little bit. Well, let's not let's not cheer. Let's not say that. Okay. <laughs> but there's not as much sadness in this one. Maybe sadness like, oh, that's sad, but not like, oh. That sucks. Not, not, not yeah. oh goodness. Yeah. Like what a depraved human being to do that. Not not that kind of sadness. Okay, so my tale is well, before I even get into that, a few years ago, you and I visited Johnson Space Center together in Houston. Yeah. It was a lovely was amazing. Trip. And this story revolves around that pretty much. Not around our trip, but around Johnson Space Center. Because this involves a love triangle of astronauts. Ooh. Who said astronauts aren't regular people? Huh? Who said astronauts aren't regular people? Right, right. And this is a story for the ages. And I feel like this lady maybe had, well, we'll get into it a little bit toward the end. Like all the stress the astronauts are under, maybe it kind of caused her to have a break from reality. So we'll see. You'll see. You'll see. So. Okay. Lisa Nowak was born May 10th, 1963, and is the daughter of Alfredo and Jane Caputo of Rockville, Maryland. In 1969, a six-year-old Lisa was watching the Apollo moon landings, and that's when she first became interested in the space program. 
While growing up, Lisa continued to follow the space shuttle program, particularly meh, particularly the introduction of female astronauts. That's right, children. Women were not always astronauts. It took Congress, maybe, to be able to allow females to be astronauts, just like they couldn't be in the FBI until like the 70s. Oh Isn't gosh. that wild? Anyway. In 1985, Noack received her commission in the United States Navy. In 1992, she earned both a Master's of Science degree in Aeronautical Engineer and a degree in Aeronautical and Astronautical Engineering from the U.S. Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. So she was extremely smart extremely extremely smart yeah sounds like it man after graduating from the naval postgraduate school noack stayed in patuxent p-a-t-u-x-e-n-t patuxent river as an aircraft systems project officer at the Air Combat Environmental Test and Evaluation Facility and at Strike Aircraft Test Squadron flying the FA-18 and the EA-6B. NOAC logged over 1,500 hours of flight in over 30 different aircrafts during her career in the Navy. That's insane. Right. She was so badass. Now, she was then assigned to the Naval Air Systems Command, working on acquisition of new systems for naval aircrafts when she was selected for the astronaut program in 1996 and entered the NASA Astronaut Corps at Johnson Space Center, the one we went to, in August of that year. So, of course, as you can imagine, being an astronaut is a demanding profession. But she did not let her job keep her from starting a family. Oh, that's so wholesome. It is. She married Richard T. Nowak, a classmate from both the U.S. Naval Academy and Naval Flight School in 1988. They had three children together, a son and twin girls. Noack took pride in having, in both having a family and staying on course in the space program, saying in one interview, it's definitely a challenge to do the flight and take care of even one child and do all the other things you have to do, but I learned that you can do it. Now, Richard Noack, her husband, was employed by a contractor to NASA at Johnson Space Center while concurrently continuing to fly for the Navy as an officer in the Naval Air Reserve. So they both had quite meaningful jobs, like very, you know, high-powered type jobs together and raising a family. You, you'd think everything could be going great, right? Right, right. Well... She qualified 
as a mission specialist in robotics and was assigned to a future mission designated STS-118. After some schedule changes, she instead went into space on July 4, 2006, as a member of the STS-121 crew assigned to the International Space Station. NOAC served as mission flight engineer, operated the shuttle's robotic arm during several spacewalks, and logged almost 13 days in space. It took her 10 years to get on her first space mission. 10 years? Are you serious? Yes, that's like how long these astronauts have to train in order to get on a mission, and some of them don't even ever get to go to space. None of them have been. I mean, they go, and maybe just one time is all they get. Wow. I cannot, I cannot actually believe that. So you can imagine how stressful it is knowing you have to do all this work, be the best of the best, and still maybe never achieve your goal of being an astronaut that has been into space. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you always get the title of astronaut if you're an astronaut, but not all astronauts make it to space. So you could you could imagine that that could be kind of disappointing. Like, you know, I worked so hard. I got accepted into the, the academy, which is really, really difficult to get accepted into NASA's um, astronaut corps. You do all that and then you still don't fulfill your dream to the fullest. But regardless, she made it. She she was one of the elite that got to go into space. None of them have been. It's all a ruse. It's all we saw the staged. Pic- <laughs> we saw the pictures. All of them look sad on their astronaut photos. Yeah. I know why. Disappointed. Yeah, because they've never been and never will. No. Okay. So, in the midst of all this, in 2004, NOAC began an affair with fellow astronaut Commander William Ophelin. The pair, now they initially met in 1996, and Ophelin was also a naval officer. So, they were familiar with each other, but not really that familiar until... They um, both were in the NASA Air Corps in 1998. So that's when he was selected. Ophelin was selected to the NASA Astronaut Corps in 1998, and he was two years younger than NOAC. So Ophelin and NOAC trained together, but the two did not go into space at the same time. His only mission was as a pilot on the STS-116, which launched December 9th, 2006. So he went a few months after she did. Now, in 2005, Ophelin divorced his wife. So if we're keeping track, they met or they started their affair in 2004. Noak was married. Ophelin was married. Yeah. Now, 2005, Ophelin divorced his wife. 
Noack and her husband separated in early 2007 after 19 years of marriage. Wow. Now, at the time, she seemed to have envisioned a future with Ophelin, but their relationship was short-lived, and Ophelin began to break it off gradually near the end of 2016. Oh, not 2016, 2006. Yeah, okay. I was about to say, I was about to say, what? He came in <laughs> another <laughs> another 10 years and was like, you know what? Nah, I'm playing. I can't do this, Noah. <laughs> no, in 2006. Okay, okay. So it was during November 2006 that Ophelin started a relationship with Air Force Captain Colleen Shipman. Shipman was working at it as an engineer with the 45th Space Wing at Patrick Air Force Base in Florida. So these are all engineers, naval officers, Air Force officers, pilots. Like these are just a group of smart people. How it devolved to what it went to, I will never know. But all of everybody who's involved with the exception of Ophelin's wife, her, she is not mentioned in any manner as to what she did as a profession, if she was even in the military. But Noack, her husband, Ophelin, and Shipman were all military slash NASA affiliates. So... Ophelin later described his relationship with Nowak as somewhat exclusive, and he ended things with Nowak as his relationship with Shipman intensified, which was around mid-January 2007. He said he thought that Nowak was disappointed, but accepting of the news. Now, here's where it gets juicy. Now, if you remember... Ophelin went into space in 2006 in December. Uh-huh. While he was in space, Noak let herself into his apartment using a key that he had given her. She accessed personal, steamy emails between Ophelin and Shipman, and she also found a flight itinerary for Shipman. So, Ophelin came back. Shipman flew out to Houston. Ophelin and Shipman had their little rendezvous in Houston when he returned from space. And Nowak hatched up a little plan. Real quick, Ovalin should listen to Shaggy. You never give her the key to your villa. <laughs> you never give a key. That that was that was his his must one mistake of many. Well, he he said he broke it off and that she she seemed okay with it. You know, I mean, everybody's grown. If if you say, hey, I want to break up, and I say, okay, I can't come back three days later and be mad about it. Well, I guess I could, but you know, you could. You take you that be, to a therapist. Yeah, you be petty. She she's obviously petty. Yeah, you don't break into people's houses and find out what they're doing and flight itineraries and whatnot. So, since she had 
Shipman's flight itinerary, she knew when Shipman was going to leave Houston because Shipman was still based in Florida. That's where her job was. Ophelin, since he was an active astronaut, he was based in Houston. So Shipman left to return to Orlando on February 4th, 2007. But little did she know, Lisa Nowak had left earlier that day in a small BMW. And her possession was Shipman's flight information that she had taken from Ophelin's computer, a knife, a BB gun with ammunition, rubber tubing, a hammer, pepper spray, a hooded tan trench coat, gloves, an eight inch, which is 200 millimeters for all our non-Americans, Gerber folding knife, her computer, and approximately $585 in cash and directions to Shipman's house. Wow. She had a whole dossier Mer- full of stuff. <laughs> Goodness. She was ready. Not ready. Smart people. Ready. She was prepared like NASA had taught her to be prepared. For real, man. She got a spec ops mission happening right now. So she headed out and then drove 977 miles, which is a little more than 1,400 kilometers to Florida. Now, here's where the media went wild. Early police reports indicate that Noack wore maximum absorbency undergarments during the trip to avoid having to stop and use the restroom. Now, she later denied wearing them, but they found like 30 unused ones in the trunk. Come on, Lisa, we know you're wearing diapers. Don't lie about it. Right. So she 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 thought that's how well she thought this through. Like, okay, I might have to stop for gas, but it'll be less likely. I'll be less likely to be seen if I'm not stopping to go to the restroom as often. You're smart. She's real smart. So. They also found a receipt for a night in a motel room on the road, which she paid for in cash and checked in under the name Linda Turner. Now on February 5th, 2007, Noak got to the international Orlando international airport and waited on shipment for about an hour in the baggage claim area. Now, Shipman had spent a couple hours waiting for delayed luggage, and then she ultimately ended up taking a shuttle bus to the parking lot. So I guess she was like, forget it. I'll just come back. I just want to get home because it was like the middle of the night. Nowak, who was wearing a wig and that tan hooded trench coat, followed her onto the shuttle and into the parking lot. Shipman spotted Noack, whose attire made her look out of place, and hurried to her car. Now, right after she got into the car, she 
in uh, sources, they it was she was saying that she felt like she was being followed, but she kept telling herself, "Stop being paranoid! Stop being paranoid!" You know, it's just a woman walking around like she had a bag. So she was like, "Stop being paranoid!" She's just trying to find her car, but she still she was like, "Okay, I just kind of hurried up and got in my car and locked the door." So as soon as she got in the car and locked the door, Noack approached the car and started banging on the window and pulling on the handle. Now she claimed that her boyfriend hadn't showed up to pick her up from the airport and ask for a ride. Now Shipman didn't completely fall for it, but she kind of fell for it while she didn't let her in the car. She did offer to call for help. And when she slightly opened the car window to let her use her cell phone, Noack pepper sprayed her. Ouch. Now, right. Now, fortunately, Shipman was able to drive away and call the police, and the police apprehended Noack there in the parking lot. Now, as of her being arrested, she was identified as a NASA personnel. And they asked Shipman, like, does this name sound familiar? She has a NASA ID on her. And she originally thought, okay, so this lady stole someone's NASA ID? Like she, she wasn't even thinking that it was anything like, you know, she just thought it was some crazy robber or burglarer. But as the, you know, police were talking to her, she said the name is, it started to sound familiar and that she and Ophelin had discussed his ex and Ophelin had once mistakenly called her Lisa in bed. So it started to kind of click. Whoa. So Shipman phoned her boyfriend to confirm the connection. Meanwhile, even though Noack was in police custody, she was still focused on talking to Shipman. Now she said all she wanted to do was talk with her bag of random goodies. <laughs> I'm just going to talk to her. I'm just going to talk to her. I'm just going to talk to her. The rubber tubes, the pepper spray, the BB gun. (laughs) Right. Knives, all types of things. She only wanted to talk to her. She just wanted to talk. Now, while there's no definitive explanation for Noak's choices, there, I mean, of course, she gave what she thought would get her out of trouble, which was she just wanted to talk. But some of those close to her speculated that the Columbia shuttle disaster may have played a part in her breakdown. Now, on February 1st, 2003, the returning shuttle Columbia was completely destroyed after a piece of foam broke off and hit the ship's wing. Seven astronauts on board lost their lives, including Noack's close friend, Laurel Clark. So she took that quite hard and 
you know, family and friends kind of speculated that that might have been like the start of every where she started the affair. So they think that was kind of like the start of her decline was losing someone so close in such a traumatic way, knowing that she was on deck to also go out, go out into space. She had children. She had a husband. Anything could happen. So, even though we don't know anything like that for sure, we do know that it is easy to understand how NASA might have missed the changes in Noak's emotional state. Now, being propelled into space by a high-powered rocket is not a low-key endeavor, so potential astronauts face rigorous screening. Yet, the psychological test that Noak had undergone to join the program had been back in 1996, and they did not do regular follow-ups. Now, in addition to that, Noak would have known that seeking aid for any mental problems would likely mean she'd lose her place in the program. And after waiting 10 years to go to space, she wouldn't have wanted to jeopardize her chance and therefore she had a lot of incentive to hide her personal turmoil. So it's also possible that returning from her 2006 space flight affected Noak's state of mind. She knew that the mission was likely to be her only one because at the time there were other astronauts waiting in the wings for their chance. And so Noah may have had trouble readjusting after this never-to-be-repeated-again journey, which I, I could see that. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah, like, because that's, like, something major and life-altering. And to know that this is, like, your one and only chance and you know that any little thing could keep it from happening. Yeah, jeez. Like, I, I could understand her, like, hiding that she was going through things. Like, because if they had been like, oh, so you're having emotional issues, we can't trust you to do your engineering work because you can't stay focused. How about we just put you on a later mission and then that mission gets canceled? Like, anything could happen. So, yeah. I, I can see how people kind of went into these conclusions. So, Noak was charged with attempted kidnapping and burglary with assault, making her the first active duty astronaut to face felony charges. NASA let Noak go after a month or a month after she confronted Shipman and Ophelin was released by the agency in June of 2007. Did they release him because he gave her a key to his house? Yeah, they probably said, okay, sir, you're making poor choices, and we can't keep you around here. Yeah, for real. But NASA ended up instituting annual psychological screenings for astronauts after this. Thank goodness something good came out of it. Now, as her case moved to trial, NOAC's legal counsel filed the paperwork for an insanity plea claiming she suffered from obsessive-compulsive disorder, insomnia, and depression. Then came a ruling that Noak had not been fully advised of her rights, and therefore her police interview was inadmissible in court. Now, 
in the end, Noak entered into an agreement that saw her plead guilty to burglary and misdemeanor battery. That was it. That's not like the worst, like, you know, charges. Those aren't the worst charges. Still bad for, you know, a NASA employee. Right. An active duty astronaut at that. But the judge taking her status as a first time offender into account gave her a year probation community service and directed her to write a letter of apology to Shipman. I hope it was genuine too. Mm, I mean, if it was court ordered, how genuine could it be? I mean, she has to know that like she kind of overdid it. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> like in, hind- <laughs> in hindsight, I was sure she's like, I kind of did a lot for that, didn't I? She had 977 miles of driving to think about what she was doing. Yeah. I yeah. feel like she was like completely just gone. Like she was like full blown psychotic break at that point. Because that's a long drive. If he can't have, if I can't have him, no one can. Yes. Then to stop at a hotel, sleep, have all night to sleep, wake up. <laughs> Refresh, take a shower, put on a new diaper, get back in the car, and keep going. Now, as you can imagine, Shipman was not happy with that sentence. She told the court that Noak had intended to kill her. It was in her eyes, a blood-chilling expression of limitless rage and glee. The crime left Shipman with nightmares and dizzy spells, migraines and high blood pressure and she can no longer sleep with a light on without a light on she purchased a shotgun and obtained a concealed weapons permit i have horrible anxiety she said especially at night i have terrifying nightmares of being cut into little pieces i have barricaded my doors so she was deeply deeply affected by what happened yeah that's terrible that is and it's like with all the sensationalism of, oh, astronauts and military people and she was wearing diapers and she drove and, you know, she did all this stuff to conceal where she was. Like Shipman really kind of got lost in the mix, even though she was the victim. And that's that's the real sad part. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Now. Much to probably everyone's surprise, Noak's actions did not derail Shipman's relationship with Ophelin. The two both retired from the military in 2008, relocated to Alaska, and married in 2010 and now have a son together. Oh, that's very nice. Shipman also began a writing career uh, with the pen name C.M. McCoy, which she said helped her cope with the attacks, after effects, and anxiety. Now, as far as Nowak, her and her husband finalized their divorce in 2008. In 2011, she was given an other than honorable discharge from the Navy and was demoted from captain to commander. 
And in 2011, she succeeded in having her criminal case sealed, citing that it would keep the family and her children from having even more emotional trauma. And the court agreed and they sealed it. I mean, you know, the internet lives on. This happened in 2007 at the height of when the internet was really going. So, you know, unfortunately for her her kids and possible grandkids, they would be able to find out. But I guess if uh, if she doesn't say anything, maybe they won't. Yeah, just maybe. And that right there was my story. But also, I forgot to mention, there was a, a movie about this with, um, I believe, Scarlett Johansson was the star, and it was called Lucy in the Sky. Lucy in the Sky. Yeah, so this this was that dramatic to have a movie made out of it. Oh, yeah, I just looked it up here. Interesting. Yeah, I'm going to have to put that on my watch list. Like they, they said it was loosely based on it. Like I read some of the the breakdown of what happened and you know, they they did take their liberties with the story, but right. I, I'm definitely going to watch that because it seemed like it it added a lot of salaciousness to the story. Like, oh, she <laughs> like they made her real crazy in the movie. And it's, it's Natalie Portman. Oh, Natalie Portman. OK. OK. Yeah. So that was my story. No murder, no death. A, a very light sentence. Yeah. I mean, the worst thing that happened was poor Colleen Shipman. Has you know, PTSD from it. Pretty much. Yeah. But luckily, her now husband stayed with her. She got a, a new career. It's helping her. And I wish her and Ophelin all the best. Yeah, yeah, the fact that Oflin stayed with her is really, like, the highlight, because, like, you know, this is all, well, it's not all about him, but, you know, how um how Lisa pretty much was, you know, like, if I can't have him, no one can, but because of him, I'm glad that he, like, you know, stayed with her and didn't, like, you know, find some other um team member to start a relationship with, you know, because that would have been pretty bad. Oh, that would have been extra scumbaggy of him. Yeah, but I mean, he couldn't fit past him, though, considering like, his track record. Right, right. I mean, he, he was already, you know, scumbaggy for, well, I mean, he said they were kind of exclusive. I feel like she, Lisa was way more into it than he was, and he just kind of didn't see that. And that right there was also another tipping point for her. Yeah, yeah. When you love someone and they don't love you back the same way, it can really hurt sometimes. Yeah, I remember I had a situation like that. But thankfully, I did not go assault anyone. Yeah, I was just about to ask you, were you assaulted or did someone assault you? Or break into anyone's house. I mean, technically, is it breaking in if you have a key? I don't think so, but never done it. <laughs> Picked up my bags and moved on. There you go. That's what we have to do. Gotta move on. Gotta move on. So there's a couple lessons to be learned from this. Uh, 
one, don't start relationships with everyone who tries to help you so that you don't end up like Heather because that was just, it seemed like everyone who helped her, every male who helped her, she ended up becoming attached to. Yeah, it's kind of unhealthy on on her end. Very unhealthy. Two, don't give out keys to your apartment or house. Listen to Shaggy. Listen to Shaggy. He is the authority on it. And three, just move on. Just move on. Just move on. So, even though my story helped bring us back up a bit... We can still end this out on an even lighter note. Yeah. How are you gonna bring us? How are you gonna bring us all the way up? Oh, me? Why is it on me? I thought you had some plan. I thought you had something in back pocket. Okay. Well, I do actually. I'm going to say that I found my favorite flavor of Gatorade, Limon Pepino. I think I think I've tried that one. It's my absolute favorite. I love it. I started drinking it when I lived in Texas, and this reminds me of living in Texas. So I always grab it when I see it, even though I don't work out. It has has some tang in it, right? Yes, it's lime and cucumber. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember that. It's your flavor mix of everything Texan. Uh Uh-oh, sorry about that noise. That is a... Very interesting, interesting flavor indeed. Yes, everyone go out and buy it so that it'll stay on the shelf. So I always have it. Because <laughs> it's hard to find in certain places. There's a lot of, like, oh, I'm sure Texas has a lot of stuff that South Carolina doesn't have. I'm sure there's just like a ton of stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But they do have this flavor. And for that, I'm grateful. Well, I don't have um I don't have a cool flavor to talk about or anything, but I have a couple shout outs. Oh, shout outs. I love shout outs. All right, got got two two friends that names begins with A. I got my hey. friend I got my friend Amanda Dempsey. She's Amanda. a uh, she's a senior marketing um specialist in our in South Carolina and she's a really, really good supporter of the show. So I appreciate her for that. Thank you. And Alicia Cienciolo, she's Alicia. she's a car friend of mine. And oh, I thought you were gonna say a car thief. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna put that information on display like that. I mean, come on, who would I be to to pit their occupation now in the open like that? But if she did sell cars, though, she would only sell Mini Coopers because that is her brand of choice. Well. It's not a lot to steal. Nope. It is small. Well, they've, they've gotten bigger over the years. But the the nice ones are smaller. And that's it. Well, shout out to those lovely ladies. I also have one shout out, a co-worker. Hopefully she gets to this episode. Melissa. Thanks for all your help. Thanks for supporting. Uh, You know, we were talking to each other about some 
random work thing and you know I was telling her about my headset and how it it doesn't work while I have to work but it works when I record my podcast and she was like oh I'll listen and so thank you look at we that. Appreciate all of our support yeah just just like a small way to drop it in a conversation yes like people who you know are actors I always have to tell you they're actors Somehow, some way. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just making that yeah. up. You got to reach, <laughs> I'm sure. So, I guess that's it. We ended with a semi-not-so-bad story. Some great shout-outs. I feel good about this one. I feel good about 14. Yeah, 14 was nice. 14 was nice. It was nice. So, I guess with that, I'll say that I'm Key. And I'm B. And we shouldn't talk about this. Bye. Bye.